pastor's message this morning is, taking, is taken from uh, the book of Acts, the first 12 verses of chapter 12, and is entitled, The Gospel According to Mark, the Restored. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the churches, and, he ki and killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded also further to take Peter. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to guard him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth that night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door guarded the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird yourself, put on thy sandals. And he said unto him, Cast your garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wondered if it was true which was done by the angel, thinking he may have seen a vision. When they were past the first and second wards of the prison, they came to an iron gate that led to the city, which opened up before them on its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered these things, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Our Father and our God, I'm humbled to be called to this ministry of preaching the word. I'm rejoicing for the calling. I'm rejoicing for your word. I'm rejoicing that we are about to embark on a study of the gospel according to Mark. And I'm so grateful for your grace that restores even wayward believers. Lord, your sheep will never go astray forever. You will always find them. You will always bring them back to the fold through the good shepherd himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that in we, as we begin this study of Mark's gospel, that we would see the good news in it, that Jesus died and was buried and he rose again. And by faith in his name, we would have life and life eternal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin in a study of the gospel according to Mark. And there are several reasons why I've chosen to preach through this gospel. I'm not going to give you all of them, but I figured maybe an explanation of a couple would be helpful. First, I've I've come to the persuasion, I'm under the persuasion and conviction that 
It's always good to bring the life and ministry of Jesus Christ before God's people on a regular basis, as much as can be. When I first became pastor here seven years ago, this month, uh, I began preaching through John, and I preached through John for a year and a half. That's when I was a wimp, you know, I couldn't extend it any further, I'm kidding. But uh, then I preached through a topical sermon on the gospel-shaped life, Second Peter, and so on, and now Romans, I preached through that, and some evening service uh, books of scripture and topics as well. And, and now it's been seven years. I figure if we go seven years every time, then 25 years or so, we'll get through the Gospels, right? That's a good goal. And I want to bring the Gospels to our attention because Christ is the center of all Scripture. <laughs> a lot of reasons for me to be emotional this morning, so I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, Jesus is the center of everything. I hope it's the center of your life. He is. And the center of this ministry. I hope you never get tired of hearing about Christ. His life, his perfect life. The means of our righteousness is his own righteousness. His substitutionary death on the cross. The, the payment for our sins. And his resurrected life, our hope. Our life is hid in Christ on high. We sing that song, but that's scripture. Colossians 3. Ephesians 2, so on and so on. Everything that we are called to be, everything they are called to know of God comes through, either preveniently through the Old Testament foreshadowing Jesus Christ or the apostles in the epistles explaining Jesus Christ and the life that we are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit who Christ and the Father gives to us because of his finished work on the cross. So Christ is central. So we should come back to the story of Jesus, shouldn't we? That's my conviction. That's the first reason why we're doing this. And I'm looking forward to it very much. Mark is a, think of this, Mark is a sermonized history of the most important person to ever live. You know, we, we love important people. Some people love to read about Winston Churchill and all the great men in the past. I love to read about war generals sometimes. I think they're just fascinating people. I don't know why that is. But, but we love to read about great persons. Nobody compares to this one. And we have four accounts of his life and ministry and his person, of his record that he lived on this earth, kids, that he lived and walked among us just as Real as you and I are living, you know, kids have a, they have a struggle with reality and fiction. I think especially because of TV, perhaps, nowadays. What's real and what's fake? I don't want to embarrass him. He's not here. My son Luther, the other day, we're driving on the bypass, and he says, are cows real? This is a month or two ago, I'd say. Dad, are cows real? He's looking at cows. I see cows. Are cows real? And this is just, now Luther's unique, I'll give you that. He's a, he's a, he's a unique boy, but, um, but Jesus is real. Jesus walked among us as certainly as you're walking and breathing right now, flesh and bone. God the Son made flesh 
And here's the story of his life and ministry. Second, the reason I've chosen Mark as opposed to Matthew and Luke is primarily because we've just come off of Romans, which was about four years, a pretty deep study, an arduous study. And, and I thought the pace of Mark, the simplicity of Mark, the narrative style of Mark, the, the, the massive text that we're going to be moving through because that's what it demands will be good for us. We're going to see a narrative. We're going to see a story unfolding. That's really the history of Scripture, is a God's story of redemption. We're going to see that firsthand. And I thought, well, let's go through Mark, because his is just like lightning. And I don't want you to sit there and go, wow, are we going through another four years of, of one single book? I don't want to discourage you. But don't let that also in your mind, leads you to think that there are not monumental, massive, theological, doctrinal truths here. Eternal life depends on what we do with Christ. None of that is lacking here. It's just that the story, the narrative, is the primary emphasis, not the doctrine and theology. So, on to the book... I'm not going to get into dates. There's so much debate about the dates of Mark and Matthew and who came first and who came second. And I'm reading one author and he says, well, we know that Matthew is first and another. We know that Mark is first. I've determined when I preach through Matthew, God willing, I'll give you all of those arguments, but not Mark. I'll give, I'll give this to you. I'll boil it down. Mark was written between the dates of 40 A.D., and 65 AD, 25 years. That's not too bad when you're talking 2,000 years ago, in my opinion. It, we don't sometimes, sometimes I like to have a historical process, but sometimes we put too much emphasis on knowing the exact details. If we needed to know that, they'd be in the scriptures, I would think. Uh, they're not. Another thing that's not in this book is the author's name. Now, there is a figure that will appear in the gospel narrative, in the, in the Gethsemane narrative, actually, of the book. A man who comes, and he's got a garment, a shawl on, and he runs away naked. And tradition is thought, well, there's Mark. That's Mark. That's the author of the book. And, you know, as I read the, the, the idea of how that came to be, a tradition, I thought, maybe. Maybe it's Mark. But other than that, which is a very far reach into the nether worlds of assumptions, there, he's not there. He's not in this text. So, so where do we see Mark? Where do we come to where we understand that Mark is the author of this book? Well, knowing that this is the gospel according to Mark, which is the superscription on the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark, according to Mark merely, Knowing that we have a, a great tradition, documented tradition, that in the first 500 years of the church, everybody in the church said, this is Mark's gospel account. There's no debate. Every idea of canonization after the Marcion heresy, when the church said, we need to, we need to as assemble the word of God, as we've done in the Old Testament, we need to do that in the New Testament because there's all sorts of Gnostic doctrines out there. There's all sorts of people like Marcion saying, we don't need this portion of the scriptures and that portion of the scriptures. So the church says, we need to, to put some effort into seeing what God has given to us, what he's 
bestowed upon us, and Mark was always recognized, received, never determined on their own authority, always received by the authority of God that it indeed was a canonical work and was attributed to Mark. Well, we don't have the name of Mark in this gospel. We don't have it on any uh, first century documents. The earliest is, I, I believe, a, a third century manuscript, which is very early, with Mark's name on it. You're all just going, what does this have to do with anything, right? But I'm getting to this point. Well, how do we know this Mark, and, and can we know this Mark? Who is this Mark? And I believe the reason I bring this up is because there's something to be gained when we do a little research regarding who this man was. Now, Eusebius was the first church historian, very early, very, very trustworthy historian. And he says that Mark, he quotes a man named Papias, who was a student of John the Apostle. And Papias says that John taught him that Mark, and I, let me just read it for you, Mark, having become the interpreter of Peter, wrote down accurately whatever he remembered of the things said and done by the Lord, but not however in order. And that's exactly what we see in this gospel. One thing we need to know when we come into the gospel of Mark is that this is not a chronologically ordered book. And that's not uncommon in the Gospels. It's not uncommon in those days that you'd have a sort of a historical writing which is not in a chronolo chronological order. Why is that especially here? He's a preacher. Mark is conveying an evangelistic message. His purpose is not so much to outline from beginning to end in a rigorous here comes first and here's last sort of uh, uh, structure. His purpose is give the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his purpose here. And so that people would believe on him. So history is replete from the first 500 years that Mark wrote this gospel. But who is Mark? Who is he? You, you heard Brother Jim read that long text in Acts chapter 12. I had him read it because I didn't want to read the whole context. But you saw there in verse 12, didn't you? Did you hear that, verse 12? Verse 12 says this of Acts. If you want to turn to Acts, we'll go there a little bit. I'm not going to exegete Acts 12, 12, 12, 1 through 12 this morning. But I do want to look at verse 12. When he realizes, that's Peter, that he was, he realizes, by the way, at this point, this very late point that he was delivered from prison. <laughs> he's just taken away and he doesn't know where he's gone or what he's doing. He's gone. And now he realizes it. He went to the house of Mary, and here is how, how many Marys are there in Scripture? I didn't look it up. There's a lot. Do you know? No, okay. I, I thought I saw your mouth move. There's a lot of Marys in Scripture. And so what does the author of Luke, what does he say that distinguishes this Mary from all the other assortments of Marys? Well, well this is Mary, the mother of someone, Right? The mother of John, whose other name was Mark, or surname was Mark. So John, he's a, he, he's a Hebrew, Mark, a, a Gentile or a Greek name, where many were gathered together and were praying. So I want, us to, I want us to first feel some of this weight. Peter runs out of, he's out of prison. He finally realizes where he at is, and he's got a house in mind that he's going to. I know there's going to be God's people there. 
I know that this is a safe place. This is, this is a Christian environment. And this is the house of Mary, which probably signifies she was a widow. But I say that just to bring this application to us. Don't underscore, don't, don't underappreciate what testimony your house has. Is your house known to be a house of prayer? A house where Christians are received? Brothers and sisters in this church, if you are in trouble, I know I can go to his house, their house. May God give us those types of homes. Especially in the coming days where things might get harder for us. Where we look to one another and we know, oh, this person has a testimony that they are of the Lord. Mary's house was that sort of testimony. People are there gathered for prayer. Probably this is a house where the church met for worship. Mary's house. And she had a son whose name was John Mark. In this description, de- description of John Mark, he's just there to describe Mary. <laughs> Realize that. This is not for us to get to know John Mark necessarily. He's there merely as a, for a way for us to differentiate Mary here. But that's not the last time we read about this man. Go to Acts 13 now. Acts 13.5. Another, a John here is mentioned as a companion of Barnabas and Saul. But in verse 13, this John left them and returned to Jerusalem, where John Mark's home was located. We just read that it was located in Jerusalem. So John is mentioned as a companion and assistant. He's a laborer. He's a co-laborer with Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul. But in verse 13, he leaves them. He leaves them and he goes home. Now, we might not think too much of that. But Paul and Barnabas go on a grueling evangelistic crusade, ministry, missionary endeavor, travels, city after city after city. Paul gets stoned in one of those cities. I forget which one. It's not an easy trip. And then eventually they wind up back in Jerusalem. And they go before the council, the Jerusalem council, and the council gives them their determination, what should be done with the Gentiles. And then Paul and Barnabas go to Antioch. And so in in Antioch, we read something very interesting about this person, probably the same person who left them in chapter 13. And we see that in chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. You think that's the same guy? I think so, especially when we read what follows. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who hath withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, which is the place in chapter 13 that this John departed from them. He had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And this is the last time in the book of Acts that we read about Mark or John Mark in this history of the early church. So up to this point, Mark is mentioned as a name, listen to this, to distinguish his mother from other Marys. And in the eyes of Paul, he was an undependable deserter. 
Now we see him here as a wedge between the two most prominent missionaries of the early church. When we read about what Paul and Barnabas did together, it blows me away when I read that. The Jerusalem Council said they have been faithful, these two. They were partners in ministry. They were seemingly from the beginning of Paul's ministry, Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas. And by the way, Barnabas, we shouldn't think lowly of him at all. He is, in, he is first in order in the name recognition up to this chapter. It's Barnabas and Paul, not Paul and Barnabas or Saul, Barnabas and Saul. This is no small little thing. So Mark is merely a descriptor about who Mary is. He's a deserter, and now he's a wedge between these two most faithful and trustworthy missionaries of the early church. Mark. John Mark. That's what we read about this man. Safe to say, if this guy was in our church, or anybody's church, if you were sitting next to John Mark, you'd be going, should you be here? You mean you broke up the greatest duo, missionary duo? Maybe of all time? Think of that. Of all time, you're the means of the separation? Safe to say this mark would probably be marked. The scriptures say, mark them which called, cause division among you. Wow, then what, what do we think about this person? Well, for a season of 15 years, probably expectedly so, nothing is said of a John or Mark in Scripture. But after 15 years, we start seeing this person's name come up again. And where do we see his name come up? But in two prison letters that Paul sends out, probably from Rome, the first being Philemon. Philemon, we know that letter was one chapter in verse 23 and 24. Paul is ending that, and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Who's Mark? There's just a Mark. Well, maybe it's not the same Mark. But more emphatically, we read in Colossians, written in the same prison around the same time as Philemon, Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, listen to this, the cousin of Barnabas. And we see this connection now to Barnabas. That makes us think, well, why would Barnabas be so concerned to bring Mark with him? So at the cost of his relationship with Paul? Why would, you, why would you threaten that for this guy that did desert you, who left? There's all sorts of ideas of why he left. I won't get into them, but... But here we see this Mark that Paul talked about in Philemon is also this is the same one here in Colossians 4, who he says greets this church at Colossia. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And he says this of him, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, what is Paul doing here? Paul is t basically putting his own reputation on the line for the sake of Mark. You see what he's doing? He's giving him, he, he's putting his name to Mark's behalf as someone to be received by the church, a trustworthy minister 
a faithful brother in the Lord. He's putting his own name, his own reputation on the line for the sake of Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. That's quite a commendation that Paul gives to this Mark in light of what we have just read. And what's more, the last letter of Paul, 2 Timothy, is the last letter that he wrote, also written from Rome, perhaps on a second prison endeavor. Some think it was the same prison endeavor. We read the most profound commendation in Scripture of this person named Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, probably the same one in Acts, I believe. 2 Timothy 4.11, I'm sorry, Mark, uh, uh, where am I here? I haven't preached for a while, so I'm lost. He says this, Luke alone is with me. Luke, or 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Listen, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So you can almost see this pattern. Colossians is around 61 AD, maybe. And perhaps this is about 68, some people say the latest would be 68 AD, and Mark is gone. He says, Mark's, if he comes to you, Mark's coming to you, receive him. So Mark goes away, and now Paul says, while he's in prison, his last letter he writes, there's somebody I want here with me. <laughs> Do you read that? I mean, you read that. Do you hear that? There's someone I want with me. He's so useful for me. The guy that in Acts, Paul says, he's not coming with us. He's not dependable. Whatever it was, he left us. And now Paul says, in his last epistle, I need him with me. I want him with me. I can't help but to think that inspired by the Holy Spirit, Mark, records this in this, or, or writes this epistle by the interpretation of Peter, and we'll, we'll look a little bit into that. And, and in his gospel, he writes a very intriguing thing that's very small and minutia, but maybe it's exactly to the effect that we should expect when we see this life of Mark in Scripture. It follows a very similar pattern. Mark records in his gospel, chapter 14, Peter's denial of Christ three times. I just preached on that Olelo a week ago, Thursday, twice. I preached there on Peter's denial of Christ three times. He cursed, he brings an oath upon himself, a curse upon himself. He swears with an oath. If I'm lying that I don't know this man, then let there be a curse upon me. That's the extent that Peter goes to in his denial of Christ. Mark has this little brief insertion in his gospel that I just find amazing. After Jesus is risen from the dead, the angel is there at the empty tomb, and here's what the angel tells those present. But go, in verse 7 of Mark 16, but go tell his disciples, his disciples, and then he says just this, and Peter. <laughs> those two words, they just send shivers up my spine. Why say and Peter? You said the disciples. Why say and Peter there? Is it because 
those who are reading this record needs to know that God restores Peter? Is it because Christians who divide from each other at times over various issues needs to know that God will restore his people to fellowship with one another? That God who works through the grace that he's given in the Lord Jesus Christ will not separate his sheep forever, but bring great restoration. And he is not limited to do so. I mean, a man that Paul says, Saul says, no, he's not coming with us. At the end of his life, he says, bring that man to me. It seems like Mark may have just recorded those words, and Peter. Nobody else records that terse little and Peter but Mark to say that's the kind of grace that God has shown to me. And he showed it to Peter, who's giving me the words for this, this gospel. You see, this is how the gospel works itself out in the lives of sinful believers We are at the same time sinners and justified. We always need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you need to know that God will restore you by grace. And some of us need to know that our brothers and sisters or wives or our friends or our family that have wandered away from a profession of faith at one time, God may restore them and has shown us he will restore by his grace those who belong to him. So we see in the life of this gospel author such a reason to write to take this record down from Peter, don't we? His passion must have been Christ. His passion must have been the forgiveness of sin, the restoration, the hope the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to close. Paul was not the only apostle with whom Mark ministered. Remember that scene back in Acts 12? We looked at Mary's house. Peter went there, and she had a son named John Mark. It was an environment where the gospel was probably on the lips of everybody all the time. John Mark heard that. John Mark heard that. I believe he became a believer, and we see his life and his story. But notice that connection with Peter. Remember that connection with Peter. Because then we read in 1 Peter 5, 13, written maybe 65 AD, from Rome, from Rome, which is where I believe this epistle was written, from Rome. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll unearth those as we go through the text. But this is what Peter says. She who is at Babylon, that's, that's a, a way of saying Rome, if you will. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, the church at Rome, sends you greetings. Listen to this. And so does Mark, my son. So does Mark, my son. Therefore, Mark is with Peter in Rome, the very thing we read from Papias and Eusebius and church history, which agrees with the historical record 
that we have concerning the author of this gospel, that he received this knowledge of the life and ministry of Christ from Peter, the apostle of Christ. And he wrote it down. But I want us to think about that. God used this mark, not just to be a minister partner to Paul and to Peter, but to give us a record, an eternal record, an inspired record of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not limit the grace and the reach of God's grace. Don't ever limit it. Don't ever say of yourself or others, God could never use me. I've done too much wrong. I've done too much harm. God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ has done it over and over and over again in every sinner he's ever used to display that there is no one outside of his reach and there is no sin too great besides unbelief that he cannot overcome and make incredible evidences of his grace like this man Mark. This man is the author of this gospel, and he knew the reason why this is a gospel. This is good news. He says in verse 1, the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And can't you just see Mark writing that? With what we just, can't you just see the joy of him writing that? The beginning of good news. This is the beginning of good news, beloved. This is the only news that can satisfy our deepest longings, our greatest problems, our alienation before God, which is our greatest problem. This is good news because everything is answered in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is written 2,000 years ago, and the purpose of the gospel is a good news account. Do you need good news these days? It's for sinners to say sincerely with Peter in the decisive hinge of this record in chapter 8, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. That's what this is written for. That's what I pray God does in our hearts every week we come to this. And if you don't know him, that he is the Messiah, I pray his, God's grace will open your hearts to know that by faith, so that you will have peace with God and joy by believing the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.